Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The truth of that song, man, where would we be without the cross? I tell you, it sure has made an impact in my life, and I hope, I hope it's made an impact in yours. Yesterday, this has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but yesterday uh, I took uh, two of the guys from our youth department out, and we went just to visit one of our teenagers, a prospect of uh, the youth department. We went out and saw him, and uh, I didn't quite remember his face at the door, so uh, I kind of, it's kind of weird, I said, is Bo here? He was like, yeah, I'm Bo. <laughs> well, I'm your youth director who doesn't know who you are. Uh, so that was a little awkward, but I was like, hey man, uh, maybe you can come back to the youth department, we'd love to see you. He's like, yeah, yeah, we'll try that out. So me and the guys just got in the truck, we drove right on down the road just to his next door neighbor's house. He walked up to the porch, knocked on the door, and a man came to the door, and I uh, got to talking to him, and I invited him to church, and I said, do you have a church that you attend? He said, no, not right now. I said, well, we would sure love to have you. I said, but sir, what if, what if, before you were able to come to church with us, what if something bad were to happen and say you were to get into a car accident? How sure would you be that you'd be on your way to heaven? It kind of hit him. I mean, it just kind of surprised him. He said, I, I don't know. I don't know. And man, it was so awesome yesterday, me and those two guys, we were able to take Phil Rico, a Hispanic man, through the gospel. And he was able to really see what the cross could do for him. I tell you, the Lord just gives you something just when you need it, doesn't He? I mean, that was awesome yesterday, seeing that guy get saved. It was so funny after we led him through the prayer of salvation. You know, I handed him the track. I said, that prayer right there will work. If you want to pray your own prayer, if you want to pray that prayer there, you can. But I'm just going to sit here and pray silently for you. But you can just pray that prayer right there. So we began to read the prayer. And he said, Amen. And we looked up and I, I just kind of did this. I was like, hey man. Hey, and he said, well, that was easy. I was like, yeah, it is easy, isn't it? Man, just childlike faith. What an awesome thing. Yesterday, Philarico was able to see the Lord make an impact in his life and save his soul. Boy, what an exciting, exciting time. I tell you what, this church is doing great things for the Lord. It's got soul winners that go out. And boy, just about every week we're seeing somebody led to the Lord. And we're seeing the baptismal waters uh, a stirring. Boy, it's a great time to be a part of a great, great church. It's all done with the King James Version of the Bible. It can't be done, but it's being done right here in Joshua, in Joshua Texas. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Now we're, uh, you, uh, we're in this same passage this morning in your Sunday school classes, but man, as I was looking at the outline that was given to the Sunday school teachers, and I was trying to figure out how I can make my message a little bit like that, I'll be honest with you, I sit and stared at a blank computer screen for about three hours. Just I couldn't get that out of it. I couldn't figure out what the Lord was trying to tell me. So uh, this might not fully be a stewardship sermon, but I believe it's a sermon that's out of the Scripture, and I believe it's a sermon that the Lord gave me. So in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, this is such a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Hebrews 11, verse 23, the Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful that you're here with us this morning. We're thankful that as a group of called out believers, we can meet in your local church. And we're so thankful that Christ is the pillar of this church. Lord, we're thankful so much for your cross this morning. But Lord, I'll be honest with you, I've sat in a lot of services and left unaltered. I've sat in a lot of services and really not been changed as I departed. Lord, that can't happen today. Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon this service in a very, very mighty way. Lord, we ask that you would do a great work. And Lord, it can't be of my wisdom or my knowledge, but Lord, your spirit has to do something for us. Lord, everybody in this room today wants to hear from you. And I pray that you would do that today. And it's in your son's precious name I pray. Amen. Now, the first time that your uh, parents uh, ever meet your parents-in-law, or future parents-in-law, it's kind of a nervous time. I remember when uh, my parents were meeting my future in-laws for the very first time, and we were really excited about it. But with my family, you just never know what's going to go down. (laughs) It was so funny because we were meeting in Tennessee. The whole reason for our meet was kind of a little awkward, a little strange, and but we all went out to eat at Shoney's, and, and you know, I had seen our, my in-laws, uh, and I had, I had talked to them a little bit, and you know, they all, they had never met my parents, so they're wondering who he is, and I'm just like, he's a great man of God. <laughs> he just marked off a spot in Joshua, Texas, and began to preach the Word of God, and God's doing great miracles. And you, you talk with a quiver in your voice, because it makes you more holy. And, uh, and I remember, it was so funny that, that night we went out to eat at Shoney's, which is like a Tennessee Denny's, with a woodchuck on it. And, um, and we went into that restaurant, and we ate our breakfast buffet, and, and we were just all kind of laughing and having a good time. Well, we were leaving the restaurant, and so I've tried building up my father as a great example for me. Just, you know, one day I just aspire to be like my father. And I remember we were leaving the restaurant, we were all paying, and this man, drunker than a skunk, walks in the front door of Shoney's. Now, that's not rare at a Shoney's in Tennessee, let me assure you. He was just coming off his moonshine run, and, you know, it, it was Tickle, actually, came in, came in that day. Now, this guy was just drunk, and he walks in, and he saw me, and, and I don't know why his eye was drawn to me, but he saw my mom, and he goes, Mama, that's a good-looking boy you got there. That's a good-looking boy. My mom, you know, she's just a Proverbs 31 woman. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mama, that boy will make good babies. That... 
and grabbed my mom's hand and, and kissed it. I'm telling you, it's a weird thing. And my mom thought she heard him say, that boy will make a good Baptist. And she was like, well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not making this story up at all. My wife was there. You know, my brother-in-law was there. My parents-in-law are there. And so my dad begins to hurt us out knowing that we can have no communion with darkness, I guess. I, he's just trying to motion us past this drunk fella. And, and he goes, where are you at in such a big hurry, Gramps? <laughs> I was like, ooh! Pancakes and anger do not mix. Maple syrup, it just gets to boiling in the belly. and It was so funny because my dad turns around. He's basically shoved us out the door. He goes, look, I'll tell you what. If you kiss my wife's hand again, I'll turn that hat on your head backwards. Now, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you all these kind of stories or not. Please, next week as he stands to preach the Word of God, he's, he's come a long way since two years ago. <laughs> no, but I... And, and so my father-in-law and my mother-in-law are there, and it's like, I, I've never seen this man before. <laughs> the guy I was talking about, marking off a spot in Joshua, he's still in Joshua, apparently. <laughs> No, and it was just so funny. We get outside, and my dad's still a little hot. And, and, uh, and, uh, but I've noticed he only does it when really big guys are with him. Like my, my wife's father is a huge man, just a really intimidating guy. And, and he only does that kind of stuff when big guys are with him. But it was so funny. I had built him up to be this great, great example for me. Just that's, you know, one day a preacher, uh, 46 years of preaching, that's what I want to be. And, and I remember my example looked a little weak that day. <laughs> you know, that's what we're going to look at today. An example of somebody who invested in the future. I'll be honest with you, as far as Old Testament characters go, Moses has to be my favorite. What a leader, what a man of God. And right here we seem in the faith chapter of Hebrews, we get to see just a little excerpt out of his life, but he really is an example of a man that invested in the future. How did he do that? Well, I see he was an example of three things. First of all, he was, he was an example of faith. He was an example of faith. We see that right here in verses 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, by faith, in, chapter, or in verse 27, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Uh, through faith he kept the Passover. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. Uh, by faith, you see, uh, the Bible's going down and it's saying Moses was a man of faith. Everybody take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, please. Exodus chapter 14. Now, let's, let's find out where we're at in the story here. We are in Exodus chapter 14, but what's led up to this was... Not so long ago, Moses was just a shepherd on the backside of the desert. 
He was a nobody. He had been a, a ruler in Egypt. He was a son of Pharaoh's daughter, but due to some circumstances now, he's left Egypt and uh, he's gone to serve on the backside of the desert as just a shepherd. And, and then really God comes to him and says, Moses, I want you to go back. I've heard the cry of my people in the wilderness. I've seen the affliction of the Egyptians upon them. And I want you to go save them and, and pull them out and lead them out of bondage. Now we know the story as Moses then kind of becomes intimidated of the whole uh, situation and the calling of God upon his life. And he says, now, I, I, I'm not an eloquent man. I, I, I can't really speak that well. And, and God says, don't worry about that, Moses. I'll tell you what you need to say. But if you need a crutch for you, yeah, you can take your brother-in-law, Aaron. That's okay, Moses. And then, and then he's just worried about everything. And, and, and for a moment there, God just proves himself to Moses on the backside of the desert. And he says, Moses, what is that in your hand? And remember, uh, Moses has a, a rod in his hand and he throws it on the ground and God turns it to a serpent. And, and could you imagine being Moses that day as you look down and, and the rod that you, had just hold, that you were just holding now is a snake on the ground. I hate snakes and I'd say, well, I'm never touching that staff again, amen. But Moses saw God's power there. He then picks up the rod and it turns back, uh, picks up the snake and it turns back into a rod. And then, and then if that's not enough, God says, now, now you, you, you do this, Moses. You place your hand inside of your garment, right into your bosom, and you pull it out again. And, and Moses pulls his hand out of his jacket and, and what happens? His hand is leprous. And he sees this disease upon his hand and, and God says, now you place your hand back in there. And, and God shows him that he has all power to heal all types of diseases. And just for a brief moment there, Moses struggles with the fact that God has called him to do something greater than he can handle. But God proves himself to him. Amen. And for a, for a brief time, you see, as Moses argues with God on the backside of the desert, once he gets that out of the way, Moses has total faith. Because it's not a chapter after that he stands before a man that has the power to kill him or the power to save him before Pharaoh, king of the world at that time, king of Egypt. And he stands before him and says, Pharaoh, you will let my people go. With no reserves, uh, not with a stuttering problem, he says, Pharaoh, you must let my people go. The Lord God of Israel, the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of our God, uh, the God of our fathers has sent, up, sent me to tell you, let my people go. And then God tells him to then start calling the plagues of Egypt uh, uh, to Egypt. You know what he says? He says, uh, he says uh, you're going to take the rod and you're going to hold it over the water and, and the waters of Egypt are going to turn to blood. You're going to pick up some sand and you're going to throw it in, and that sand is going to become lice. And, and, and Moses never argues with him again because he saw the power of God and he saw the faith. He, he began to have faith in the power of God. You see, if we're going to have faith, if we're going to have faith to invest in the future, you know what it must be based in? Faith in God's power. Faith in God's power. Right here in Exodus 14, what's happened is now the children of Israel have escaped from bondage. Pharaoh's let them go. We all know the last and final plague that Pharaoh has to face is his son is killed. And apparently, emotionally, it just hurt him so bad. He says, you can go. Now uh, Israel's excited. They're done, man. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer in bondage. We're on our way to the promised land. Everything's great. Everything's grand. They go in and then, and then Pharaoh turns his heart. 
And he begins to pursue Egypt. And now as Egypt is pursuing Israel, Israel's on the side of the bank of the Jordan River. And what do they begin to do? Oh, Moses, there were no graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here to die. Oh, Moses, we should have just stayed. We told you when you came to us. We told you. Leave us alone. We don't want it. We'll just serve as slaves in Egypt. Moses, we told you. Isn't that what they say? Exodus chapter 14. This is Moses' response. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. This is what my favorite part is, which He will show to you today. Which He will show to you today. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if Moses is there, wouldn't he be a witness to it as well? Let me just get a little off context here, but you know, I think think Moses already knew he was going to do it. Moses didn't have to see the salvation of the Lord. He had already seen it. He had already seen it in the plagues of Egypt. His faith allowed him to see the parting of the Red Sea before the the rod was ever lifted up. That's what I believe. He says, you know what? You're complaining. You, You think you ought to be a slave. You just shut your mouth. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you. He's already proven Himself to me. By God's power, the the sea will part. By God's power, the Egyptians which you see today, you will never ever see again. God's power will take care of them. What's your faith based in? God's power. I'm so tired of this spineless, backboneless Christianity that doesn't believe in a powerful God. Oh, Mr. Obama's in the White House, always trying to take away our guns, always trying to take our health care away. My friend, God's in control. It's still the same powerful God that parted the Red Sea. It's still the same God that did all those many miracles in the New Testament when Jesus Christ walked this earth. Do you think God can't handle the government? Oh, I, I just have to have my emergency fund just in, just in case something goes wrong. My friend, God's power is in control. You see, I'm so tired of Christians that claim God's power, but really have no belief that He's willing to use it. My faith is not found in, in men's device or creed. My faith has found a resting place, and it's in the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. My God has power over death. My God has power over disease. And He has power to do anything that He pleases. You see, my faith has to be found in God's power. You know why Moses wasn't afraid of Pharaoh? You know why Moses was able to say the things that he said? Because he knew who was at his back. And he knew who was supporting him. And he he knew whose name he went in there for. You see, so often I think probably we are a little spineless because we're not going in Jesus' name. You say, man, I just just hope my bank account works out. I hope that when I balance the checkbook at the end of the month, I hope I'm in black instead of red. But you see, if we were less concerned with how we could handle our finances... 
And I don't know if you heard this when Dr. House was preaching, but he said, do you pay, uh, is, is God in control of your finances or do you just pay him 10% to manage them? I'm afraid probably we've lost our faith in the power of God. He can do anything he wants. You, you say, I don't know how I could live off 90%. Hey, God can make you live off 10% if you want it. God has a way of doing some special, special things. Let me ask you this morning, do you have faith in the power of God? The absolute power of God? Mark 10 says, for with men this is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. First Chronicles in verse, uh, chapter 29 says, and listen to this, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. You see, the head above all, the ruler of this world, the ruler of this universe, the, the, the God that holds this very earth on His axis is at my fingertips. And His power is ready and able to help you. You see, Moses, he had great faith because it was in God's power. Secondly, not only did he have faith in God's power, he had faith in God's promises. He had faith in God's promises. Now this whole little event happens and begins in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, he's just a shepherd in the desert and he looks over, uh, and, and let me just paint a picture for you. He looks over and as he's tending with the goats or the sheep or the cattle, he looks over and sees a bush that is on fire. Now y'all know the story, right? He looks over and he's just kind of amazed. This, this is the desert. It's not rare for things to catch on fire, but something was unique about this bush. This bush did not burn. It did not, it was not consumed by the flame. And so Moses walks over and, and God sees that he's coming over to the bush. The Bible says the angel of the Lord was in the bush. And then uh, this is, this is a special thing. When he gets to the bush, it's not just an angel. It's God in the bush. It was Jesus Christ that was in the bush. If you want to know my opinion about it, Jesus Christ is in the bush and he begins to speak to Moses out of the bush. He says, you're on holy ground, son. You take your flip flops off. Don't wear flip-flops to church. No, I'm just, I, I don't know if that's in the New Testament. Hey, we're under liberty, not law. I, I don't know. but You see, Moses is just enamored by this bush that's burning and is not consumed. And he walks over and he sees it. And, and, and the, the voice out of the bush calls and says, uh, you need to take your shoes off. And so he does. And he says, what is that? And God begins to tell him his great plan for Israel. And what does Moses say? What am I going to tell them when, when, when I say uh, there was a bush burn? And they'll say, yeah, you've been burning the bush back there, Moses. You've been doing a little, ha You've been burning the bush back there on... Little, uh, that was a, a drug reference. I'm sorry. I don't know if y'all got that. I don't know if that's wrong to do. But uh, they're looking at it and they say, yeah, you're crazy. And Moses goes over and says, who am I going to tell them sent me? If, if, if I ain't going to tell them some burning bush came and sent me. And he said, you tell them, Moses, I am sent you. I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. The God of your fathers, you tell them that's who sent you. You see, when Moses heard that, he knew it was God. He knew it was the God that had promised the land to them. 
And then from that point on, he had faith in the Word of God. You see, this morning we don't meet to hear my wisdom. Because I got very little of it. This morning, we don't meet to hear my funny stories. We don't meet to laugh or fellowship even. We meet around a holy book. You see, this morning my prayer is that you would not even entertain the thought that this is me speaking, but that I am preaching the words of God. You see, I used to be the kind of man that loved the funny stories. I used to be the kind of guy that when a preacher preached, I'd say, ah, it made me laugh, he was good. But now, you know what, I, as a youth pastor, I long for my teenagers to hear at youth camp. I pray all year that they will hear a man that's not necessarily funny, that's not necessarily polished or clever, but that a man would preach the Word of God. You know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna have faith to invest in the future, it's gonna have to come on this one principle, that God's Word meant everything that it said, and God meant everything when He said it, and that God can deliver on the promises that are in His book. This is not just a storybook. This is not just something that you can read to your children at night so that they can fall asleep. This is the direction for the Christian. This is the life gate for the Christian. This is everything that the Christian lives by is found in His Word. God can keep His promises. You say, oh, I just don't know if I can, I can have faith to invest in the future. God says, if you do, you're blessed. God says, if you'll listen to Him and you'll honor Him with your money, He'll bless you. A promise of God. See, Moses didn't just go all willy-nilly. He had faith in the power and the promises of God. But second, uh, thirdly, faith in God's presence. He had faith in His power. He had faith in His promises. But he had faith in God's presence. In verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 27, the Bible says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. As seeing Him who is invisible. You know what? Sometimes it feels like God's a little invisible, doesn't it? Right in the middle of that trial, right when everything's kind of mounting up on you, it just seems like God is a little invisible. God cannot be seen, tasted, touched, or felt. He can't, he can't be seen or felt by our human senses. You see, it's, sometimes it's a little discouraging because... We don't have the ability to look at a statue and pray to it saying, that's our God. We don't have something that we can see. But I tell you, friend, our faith can see it clearly. You see, this morning as we meet around the Word of God and we meet under the preaching of the Word of God, uh, my prayer was that God would be here and, and maybe my eyes cannot see them. Maybe my good vision cannot see Him. But I promise you, my faith knows that Jesus Christ is working in the lives of Christians this morning. My prayer was, Lord, You've promised to meet with us. Lord, You've promised to be in the building. And Lord, I know that You can do a great majesty, majestic work. I know You can do a great thing. And my faith can clearly see Him in the lives of Christians this morning. His promise was that where two or three are gathered, He would be there with, with them as well. And my friend, I can see God here in this building. Maybe my eyes can't see Him. And you know what? I don't feel a gust of wind or anything to let me know He's here. But my faith says clearly that God is here this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence 
of things not seen. You see, when you can't see God, when you don't know where He is, you have your faith. You know what your faith does? Your faith gives you the evidence, the tangible feeling that God is in your situation. You see, Moses didn't see God no more than we see God. He said he believed in Him who was invisible. But Moses had a great faith. I believe this is on my heart. God's not looking for a ton of faith. He's just looking for a total faith. You see, just a faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. Just childlike faith, that's all God asked for. But it seems like people in the Bible just had faith when they were at at the end of their rope. You know, when they had nowhere else to go, I'm reminded of the widow... And I'm reminded as Elijah comes to the widow and she and her son are just going to, they have enough oil to make a meal for them. They have enough oil and enough meal. She's gathering two sticks so that they can eat and die is literally what she says. And I'm reminded as, as Elijah comes to her and says, you go fetch me water and you go fetch me meal. And she says, oh, but sir, uh, my son and I, we're going to eat this last meal. This is the only thing I have. And, and Elijah says, no, you, you see, God was, God's here now and your cruise of oil will not fail and the meal will not fail. But what, what other options did she have but believe the man of God? She was at the end of a rope. I'm reminded of the story of Naaman, how Naaman comes up and he's a leper. He, there's no chance of healing. There's no cure. And he comes to the prophet of God and he says, uh, I want to be healed. The man of God says, you go bathe in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman's a little upset at that. Aren't the waters where I'm from a little bit cleaner than the Jordan River? But nonetheless, his servants say, Naaman, if God had asked you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? You just go and do what God asked you to do. And now Naaman being a leper, he has no other options. He has no other choices. There's no other cure. Why not go give it a try? And he jumps in the Jordan River seven times. Is not Naaman healed? He is. You see, it doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes total faith. I was, this is a really interesting and cool story. Uh, my wife and I, many of you remember what we went through with our daughter Haley. Well, just this past Saturday uh, was her uh, due date. And so my wife and I took a little bit of vacation together and we just got alone. And I remember I was checking some insurance policies to see if we could get a cheaper rate. And, uh, and so it wasn't really that, it was actually much worse. And then a lady called me on the phone and said, let me run some numbers and maybe I can send you a better quote. So she got back to me and we saved about $200 on our auto insurance. Amen. It's a good deal. $200 going to the mission field. But I know it was an awesome thing, but got to talking to this lady. She's taking down my personal information. She has asking me some questions about what I did. And I told her I was a youth pastor. And, uh, and it was really odd because she said, now, I want to ask you a question. There's no right or wrong answer to this. But my son died when he was 21 years old. And I'm a Christian, but some mornings I wake up angry. And I'm not angry at people. I'm just a little upset at God. She says, why is that? Hello, ma'am. Let me tell you a story. And I began to explain to her what my wife and I had gone through. And I said, look, there's two reasons why God put us through that. I said, first of all, uh, 
I'm thankful that my daughter's in heaven. She never had to experience the failure of a father. I said, I'm not a perfect man. I would not have been a perfect father. I'm thankful that now she's never experienced anything but the love of Jesus Christ, the perfect love of the Lord. And then I said, secondly, I'm thankful she put me, God put me through that to stretch my faith, to, to put me through something. My life's been relatively easy up until this point, but to put me through something that would stretch me. I said, I'm thankful for that. I said, to be honest with you, ma'am, it's not, it's not like I have a lot of faith or anything. It's just, that's the only thing I have to lean on. What else am I going to say? God, God had to be the answer for it. You see, and as I sat there and thought about that, I was just like the people in the Bible. They had no other answer. They had no other uh, resolution, no other escape. It was just God was the only way. See, so often we find ways and we have our plan B's and our escape routes. God doesn't want to be a plan A with a plan B right behind Him. God wants your total faith. Total faith and trust in His power and in His promises and in the fact that He is there with you. The Bible says, He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Bible says in Psalms or, uh, that I have been young, but I am older now and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. You see, God's there with you. And you can balance your checkbook at the end of the month as long as God's your accountant. You don't have to worry about whether an investment in the future is a wise idea as long as God's the one, the recipient of the investment. Amen. See, we, ha- we have to look at Moses' faith, his example of faith. Secondly, we have to look at his example of separation. His example of separation. Now, I'll look at this, and, and, and this is found in verse 24 and 25 of Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says, by faith, when uh, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Could you imagine the difficult decision he had to face right here? First of all, he had a hard decision to make. You see in verse 24, it says, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I love that because we all know the story how the decree had been made to kill all the babies, all the male babies. Moses fell under that. His mother and his daughter and his father figure out a way, uh, 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 Moses' sister, figure out a way to make an ark. They place him on the river uh, through God's providence and through God's leading. The basket just so happens to find itself to Pharaoh's daughter as she's bathing. Pharaoh's daughter was barren. She could not uh, bear children. And and just so happened that Moses became her adopted son. Kind of a neat story. And we see how Moses, as he's raised in the Egyptian homes and he's raised in the Egyptian education system, we see that God was with him the whole time. And that uh, even though Pharaoh's daughter was kind enough to save his life, he still would not be called his, her daughter, or her son. I think that's unique. He would rather identify with a slave culture than to be in the palace of the Pharaoh. That's amazing to me. He looked at his people who were in bondage and he said, you're not my mother, 
that lady over there getting the pitch together, throwing the slime on top of the straw, that's my mother. That's amazing. As I did my research, uh, some theologians believe that Moses, if he had been willing to accept the Egyptians' culture, had the chance to become Pharaoh and ruler of Egypt, not once, but two different times. And he would not be called an Egyptian. He would not be called, identify himself with the world. What a difficult decision he had to make. Secondly, there's a harmful decision here in verse 25. The Bible says, because of the decision that he made to identify with a slave culture as opposed to Pharaoh, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. So Moses, this is the way I picture it. Moses puts his decision on a scale. And he says, everything that the world has to offer... All the greatness of the world, the riches, the women, the treasures, the fun, the, 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 the servants under me, everything on this side of the scale, and over here, this is what God's people have to offer me. Bondage, wilderness, slavery, and, and affliction, oppression. And as Moses looked at it, uh, yeah, probably the riches outweighed it until he threw on the cause of God. Yeah, the, the, the world looked good until he threw on the man in the bush. And you see Moses weighs his options and he says, Do I want every, the best the world has to offer or the worst that my God has to offer? And for Moses, it was a rather easy decision. You see, I look around at Christians, I look around at Christian culture and I see that people live luxurious lives. In America, we are so blessed. And I'm not one of those preachers that says, you have to live in poverty, live for God. I think we can enjoy air conditioning even down in Carrizo Springs, to be honest with you. I I believe we can enjoy air conditioning, amen. But I do believe we are such a blessed people that we've become a little bit spoiled to the dainties of this world. And we put on the best that America has to offer and we sacrifice for the American dream. And five and six days a week we work our tails off just to pay the bills. Well, all the while looking over here at this side of the scale and not paying it near enough attention. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction for his God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Hey, it was a hard decision. It was a harmful decision. But thirdly, it was a holy decision. You see here in verse 25, the Bible says this, then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, I think as I read the story, I read everything that Moses had to, uh, had the opportunity to partake in as he was a prince of Egypt. And I look at that and I say, yeah, you had all the fortune, you had all the wealth, but I don't necessarily see any inherent sinfulness about that, right? Do y'all? I mean, I just see that he was going to be rich. He was going to live an extravagant lifestyle, but I don't necessarily see sin. But Moses says this, yeah, I would have gotten in trouble if I had had all that. Now, if I had been Pharaoh, I would have gotten in trouble. And I would rather suffer with God's people than to enjoy sin for a season. Hey, look, it, it, Moses looks at it and says, I would rather be holy for my God than healthy for the world. 
I would rather worship my God than, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Let me just say this. If you're a Christian this morning and you're unhappy, let me just take a look at your life. And let me see if I can find something, whether it's a, a, a hidden sin or whether it's a, a, a lack of fellowship with God. But you see, Christ came to give Christians life and more abundantly He came to give us life. He doesn't want you to live in a sad lifestyle or an upset area. Uh, God wants you to be happy. You know what? The only reason we're not happy is because we're not fellowshipping with God. And because, uh, because we're not living a holy lifestyle. See, that's why Paul said, I've learned how to be abased, and I've learned how to abound. But I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Hey, be content with such things as you have. For he hath promised, he will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You see, when you're in a good fellowship and a good relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, just because things aren't good at the workplace, you can still find joy. Because God's still on your side. You say, I just, I'm not very happy. Sometimes I, I have terrible thoughts. You, you see, if you were in a fellowship and a relationship of the King of the universe, knowing that you don't deserve it, knowing that it's simply the grace of God that's allowed you to enter into His presence every morning or every night, you see, if you were able to do that and look at His love, you'd be happy. Amen. And so Moses takes a look at it and says, I would rather live a holy life because that's where true joy is found. If you're going to invest in the future, don't just invest your time. Don't just invest your talents. Don't just invest your treasure. I tell you what, you invest your life. Amen. You invest the man or the woman that you are into becoming more what God wants you to be. That's an investment that will pay dividends. Let me just say, I'm thankful that my religion sets a bar so high that each and every day I have to try to attain it. What if I could meet the standard that God wanted me to meet? Well, I've, I've done it. Huh. That's it. Hey man, I'll look and each and every day there's something I need to do. I read my Bible and I see great men of faith like, like Moses and like Abraham and like David. And like Paul and like John the Baptist, like Elijah, like Elisha. And I look at those men and I say, boy... My faith's a little lower than theirs. I don't quite have the faith in God that I need to have. And there's always a bar that I can be pressing towards. You want to invest in the future? Before your money ever gets in the situation, just invest yourself. See what God can do there. Not only was He an example of separation, but finally, He was an example of expectation. He was an example of expectation. In verse 26... This is an awesome verse. The Bible says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So, basically what we have is because of the decision that Moses has made to not live for the world and to elevate holiness, elevate a trust for in God, because of that decision, he begins to expect some things. He expects, first of all, to live a life of reproach. You see, because as a Christian, you cannot live in this world and not feel some reproach. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Teenagers, it's going to be hard when your friends make fun of you for reading your Bible. 
Teenagers, it's going to be hard when your friends make fun of you for asking them if they're on their way to a place that doesn't exist. It's going to be difficult. Adults, it's going to be hard when you have to walk away from the dirty joke at the water cooler. And when they ask you if you want to go grab a burger at a bar and you say no, it's going to be hard. But you see, this life was not meant to be comfortable for us. The Bible says they hated, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. Jesus says, is the servant greater than the master? The Bible says, and they departed in Acts chapter 5, the, the men stand before the council and, and they're, they're beaten and persecuted for their trust and their faith in God. And the Bible says, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were worthy, counted worthy to suffer shame for Christ. They were excited about the fact that they were able to be punished for their faith. When's the last time you felt some reproach? Whether at your workplace, whether at your family. When's the last time you got made fun of for being a Christian? Because I look at my life and it's not very often. And I have to ask myself, if the Bible promises me that I will get made fun of, if that I will be reproached, that I will see tribulation, that I will, that I will face things like that, and I'm not facing them, am I living good enough? Am I as bold as I ought to be with my witness for Christ? Am I as bold as I need to be? Am I the man that I need to be? And I look at my life and I say, Yeah, I don't remember the last time somebody made fun of me for being a Christian. Jesus got made fun of all the time. The Pharisees came to Him. Who do you think you are? When's the last time you got made fun of? 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10 says, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in, uh, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. You see, uh, as Christians, we ought to take pleasure in the fact that this lifestyle is difficult. That we are able to suffer something for the one that suffered it all for us. We ought to be excited about that. But not only did he expect reproaches, he finally expected rewards. He expected rewards, and you see that in the bottom part of verse 26, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. I, I, I get a chuckle out of folks that say, well, you ought not serve God for rewards. Why do you work at Alcon? For reward. For benefits. For a paycheck. Why do people play sports? Why do NFL players literally put their future on the line for the trophy? Humans are motivated by trophies. We're motivated by the fact that one day the Lord will be able to reward us for our faithfulness here on this earth. But I'll be honest, I don't fully understand the football one. When I played football in high school... I really just played for school spirit. You know, they needed me to make a team, and so I played. I did not enjoy it. You know why? A lot of people don't understand this. Because every game, on the bus ride to the field, I thought about what it would be like if I had snapped my spine in half that night. And you may chuckle at that, but really, I thought of it this way. Is this hour and a half of football really worth the rest of my life? I don't fully understand because you know, we never were very good. I mean, we never. 
I guess if I'd have been on a state championship team, I'd been bleaching my hair, been buzzing my hair, you know, growing an afro, whatever teams do, and I don't have any experience in that area. But I, I just didn't understand why people would go and butt heads and, and literally risk their life for, for just a trophy. But I understand why you'd do it for Christ. I understand that one. Because Christ is worthy of it. Christ is worth every pain that we face on this earth. Christ is worth any difficulty that I might have to go through. Christ is worth every moment of it. You see, one day we're going to stand before Christ. We're going to stand before Him. And let me just paint you a picture of how this is going to be. There will be a moment when Christians will be rewarded for their faithfulness. And you will be receiving crowns for everything that you've accomplished on this life. And for the very first time, you will be standing in perfect holiness. You will have never seen a sight like we will see that day. Christ will be high and lifted up. And probably at no, more, uh, no other point in your life will you have felt as unworthy to let, be there, let alone receive a reward. Christ will be high and lifted up. He will still have the prince in his hands for what he did for us on Calvary. Angels will be singing, holy, holy is the lamb that was slain. Christ will be high and lifted up. His face will shine with fire. Uh, His feet will shine with fire. He will be so amazing. And somebody will be handing me a crown. They're saying, good job. Hey, somebody made fun of you one time. Here you go. You were a good soul winner on this earth. Here you go. And I'll be holding these crowns. And I'll be looking at the one that's worthy of everything. And I'll take these crowns. And I'll throw them at His feet. And I'll bow before the one who is special. The highest, the most majestic, the most worthy in all the world, in all the universe. He created me, He loved me, He died for me. And I'll take these crowns that I don't deserve. I'll take these crowns that I have no business getting. And I'll take them and I'll cast them at His feet. Words won't be able to describe to, describe to the Lord that day how worthy He is. You see, the reason, the reason Moses was excited about his reward was not so that he could brag about it. Was not so that he could feel special or not so that he could be the man in heaven. He was excited about his reward because he knew one day he would stand before Christ and he would be casting crowns at his feet. Are you going to be standing there empty-handed? Because as men and women to your right and to your left are casting crowns saying, you are worthy. At that point, the most amazing words that you could utter would not be worth it. Would not quite do justice to the, to the situation that's at hand. You saying, 
thank you. Just, just won't quite do it that day. What these people that are casting crowns at his feet are saying is, everything in my life that I did, everything that I was, every day I faced a hard situation, all the times when things were difficult, all the times when things were good and I, I kept faith in you, all of what I have done has amounted to you. You see, that's the reason you invest in the future. Because it's not the future of seeing people saved in this church you're investing in. That's, that's a side benefit of it. You give your money, you give your time, you give your, your talents. That's a side benefit is this church growing and this church being healthy. You know what the future is? The rewards that you'll be able to cast at Jesus' feet. Every eye bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the love that he displayed on Calvary. And we thank you for the grace that counted us worthy to share. Lord, I pray now that you'd be in this service. And Lord, I pray that you'd do a work. I pray that the hearts of the Christians in this room would see there's a cause far greater than this week. I pray that they would see that checking account balances and, and financial statements really just kind of compare, uh, fail in comparison to eternity. Lord, please be with us now. With every head bowed and every eye closed and everyone stand to your feet, Brother Pickett's going to sing, and I'm not going to belabor, belabor the invitation. I'm not going to beg you to come down. But I'll say this, if God has done a work in your heart, as I pray He has done, and as God has moved in this service this morning, is there anyone that would say, I, I need to talk to Him? Whether to just thank Him for what He's done, for He's worthy of our thanksgiving, or whether to just tell Him that you need to invest a little bit more of yourself. Brother Pickett. He is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just insist upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how 